Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Rosell, and I'm joined by John Fisher. How are you doing today, John? I am doing fairly well on now that summer has finally hit New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get warm uh, all over the country, but especially the areas that were formerly cold. And, you know, as as the summer starts to come, we can bid goodbye to the 2019-2020 regular season for the New Jersey Devils because we had a big, big week in hockey news and sports news in general with the uh, announcement of returns of several professional sports leagues. But the one we're most concerned with is the National Hockey League. And what we learned is that the New Jersey Devils will not be participating in any more games as part of this league season. And realistically, we may not even see them until 2021 at this point, given the timelines that have been announced by the NHL. If you've been living under a rock as a hockey fan, then you don't know that the return to play format was agreed upon as follows. The top 12 teams in each conference by win percentage at the point of the stoppage will be participating in uh, further play this season of the NHL. The top four seeds per conference are playing in a round robin amongst themselves to decide their seeding for the eventual playoff round. And this intermediary play-in round uh, is going to take place between the eight other teams in each conference that qualify by these criteria. Now, this technically doesn't count as the playoffs itself in in terms of conditional pick purposes. And, uh, you know, John will break down the implications of that in just a second for our New Jersey Devils. But it is important to note that you know, there are some teams that are going to be in this play in round that did not have a ghost of a chance of making the playoffs and they get second life this season. We talked last week about how the Devils certainly did not deserve to be playing any more hockey this season, but it's hard to watch the Montreal Canadiens who are at an even 500 and not even remotely close to the regular playoff picture get another chance at this while the Devils, had they beaten Pittsburgh, would have been in. Or if they won two extra games or if they did a lot of other things that sure. they should have done, like not blow a four-goal lead in their first game of the season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't unspill the milk. Right. It is what it is. And given the situation with the global pandemic, given the situation that is simply not feasible to return to regular season hockey as originally planned, I mean, we're doing this show on May 31st. I mean, and we got the news last week. <laughs> that they're going to return to play. So resume finishing off the 82 game season was certainly not in the cards. You know, there's yeah, you got to throw fair out the window at this point. Right. So you have to agree to a format and um, the devils are on the outside looking in, which I'm personally fine with because the devils had even less of a ghost of a chance <laughs> of being involved. And I'm not sure I would want to see this New Jersey devils team without a Blake Coleman, without a Taylor hall, without an Andy green, without whomever else cannot come and participate due to the global pandemic or if they pick up an injury during training camp, go out and get bodied by like Pittsburgh in in this qualifying round setup. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what value would that would be. Oh, by the way, there may not be a lottery pick in it for you, but I will get to the lottery in a little bit because I want to give a little more of a breakdown about how this qualifying round is going to happen. Well, before you do that, I just want to, you know, real quick, the teams that were, you know, this is a weird time to speculate about playoff matchups too because everyone's been in the same strange situation with the league pause so teams that were you know a buzzsaw the whole season leading into it yeah the talent hasn't changed but it's been a very long pause so it's interesting to see how these teams will come back and maybe some of the matchups might not be as clear-cut as expected 
Exactly. And the thing about hockey, you know, say what you want about other sports like soccer, basketball, football, but those are things that you could do without a special surface. Mm -hmm. Like you could work on things with respect to, you know, working off, working out off ice, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Whereas in hockey, you need to be on the ice. Right. Um, with the, with the announcement of this return to play format, the NHL also announced that they are now in phase two of their return to play progress. Phase two meaning that they are allowing teams to have small, limited, limited to six people on the ice limited, mm -hmm. uh, on ice workouts, provided that your state and municipality are allowing you to return to a hockey rink. Mm -hmm. And um, that's also coming with, of course, every team has their own situations. You got people who are abroad in Europe or abroad in Canada. And, you know, it's not necessarily as feasible to get that going. But, you know, it's now May and people are now going to take to the ice. Phase three of this plan is which was also announced with this return to play format is formal training camps, which are rumored to be starting in mid July at the earliest. Uh, Gary Bettman said when he made the announcement, it's going to be no earlier than July 1st. And then word came out from the likes of Elliot Freeman and Pierre Lebron that it's going to be no earlier than July 10th at most likely. And even then that's a very favorable timeline. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right, Dan, in that there's a lot of guys who are going to be, three, four, five months, possibly not even being on an ice rink. And now they're going to be asked to come onto an ice rink and get ready to play some very important games very, very quickly. And that's going to be a great equalizer from a talent perspective, because as we see in preseason and exhibition games before a regular season, we throw those games out the window because everybody's out of shape in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Now, now, now they're going to be playing some games that mean something. You can't throw those games out. So you got to, I think whoever's going to succeed is going to be the team that sort of sorts out their fitness issues uh, the quickest and can do so without suffering major injuries, which are definitely going to be more likely because you're going from nothing to ice hockey in a really short amount of time. Right. And the the thing about this is the teams that voted against this format had very specific and almost personal reasons to do so where Tampa had just started to catch a hot streak and, you know, yeah. they they were like, okay, let's let's have a little li bit of leeway to play our way into the playoffs, as opposed to Carolina, who every day it's seeming more and more like they just don't want to face the Rangers because the changes that they proposed were so specific and so honestly ridiculous that they were never going to pass. And given their matchup and their matchup history, it seems like they are legitimately just afraid of having to play the Rangers. Well, our hated rivals did beat them four times already this season, so... And it's not for, you know, no good reason, but if every other team votes for it, even the ones who have unfavorable matchups that they didn't think they'd have, they just want to come back, and Carolina was putting all kinds of demands on it. I don't know if they you made saw a, the full they made, list. They, they, they made a proposal. I can understand some teams, like, say, Pittsburgh, maybe saying, do we really want, you know, we're, why are we going to have to play Montreal and possibly get skunked in a short series with Carey Price? No, Carolina put a formal proposal in there solely because they did not want to play this series. Mm -hmm. So this makes Carolina the most chicken team in the league. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm not going to make any buck-buck noises. What I want to do is quickly go over what the matchups are going to be. Mm -hmm. So Because they did announce this during Bettman's uh, reveal here. So the top four teams by point percentage in the East are Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, and Philadelphia. Uh, unfortunate. Be <laughs> in case you forgot, the Metropolitan Division has been a super tight division. Mm -hmm. And so Philadelphia got hot 
or maybe I should say the other teams didn't get hot enough at the right time. So Philly basically sniped the spot from Pittsburgh at the very end of March 12th. So what they're going to do, and this kind of allays Tampa Bay's concerns, and I would imagine these other teams I, I, met, I just mentioned have similar concerns behind the scenes, mm-hmm. that they're going to at least, the games may not be as meaningful, but at least they'll have some games. They'll, they're not going to come into this playoff series against whomever knowing that they've been cold and the other team just played three, four, or five games. Right. Now, in the East, it'll be Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia. In the West, it's going to be St. Louis, Colorado, Las Vegas, and Dallas. And as mentioned, the remaining eight teams are are organized by point percentage. So Pittsburgh, who ends up on the outside at number five, they're going to play number 12, Montreal. And then I would say other than Montreal, every every other team in the East kind of had an outside shot of still being in the playoff mix. Mm-hmm. The, 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 it wasn't a very good shot, but at least they were not like completely way out of it like Montreal was. As mentioned, Carolina is going to play our hated rivals, and they're legitimately scared of them. The fighting Eric Tulskis uh, are going to take on our hated rivals and could potentially lose that matchup, provided that the whatever's happened in the season repeats itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Islanders are going to be taking on Florida and Toronto is going to take on Columbus. This is known as the qualifying round. And uh, the ones that matter to us as Delo fans are in the West. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So Edmonton's going to take on Chicago. Nashville's going to take on Arizona, which is one series we need to pay attention to. The second series we need to pay attention to is Vancouver versus Minnesota and then there's Calgary versus Winnipeg, which is, well, it's Calgary versus Winnipeg. Um, of note is that the seven teams that are not involved can make trades, but everybody else is kind of locked in at the moment. And that's going to cause a bit of a controversy, which we'll touch on in a little bit, mm-hmm. in terms of things that need to be addressed uh, before, you know, in the coming weeks before we can even get close to having games being scheduled, much less played. Now, the reason why we care about the Nashville and Arizona series and the Vancouver and Minnesota series is because of the conditional draft picks the Devils have acquired during the 2019-2020 season. It was revealed by Pierre Lebron through The Athletic yesterday that the league issued a memo to teams, specifically New Jersey and Vancouver, because they had questions about this, about does the qualifying round count as a playoff round? And the answer from the league is no. Mm -hmm. The qualifying round is a qualifying round. So even though the stats may count as playoff stats, they're not playoff games. The playoffs are still the traditional 16-team setup of, you know, four rounds. So what this means is that if the Devils want Vancouver's first-round pick for 2020, the condition is Vancouver makes the playoffs. That means you need Vancouver to beat Minnesota. Straight up. They need to beat Minnesota to get it. Otherwise, it's a 2021 first-round pick, which is unprotected. Right. And as far as the one of the conditions from from the Arizona trade for Taylor Hall was a 2021 third-rounder that could be upgraded if Arizona wins a playoff round this year. Well, if you want that to happen, you need Arizona to beat Nashville and then win another playoff series against one of the four teams I just mentioned between St. Louis, Colorado, Las Vegas, and Dallas, which is a legitimate – long shot because Arizona isn't very good and the other teams I just mentioned are right <laughs> now more important more importantly to the Devils and more concerning because Taylor Hall is involved is the state of the 2020 first round pick from Arizona in the Hall trade that pick has lottery protection top three protection Dan so what that means is that Arizona cannot win a lottery and unfortunately if they lose the qualification round they could still win a lottery Yes, which is, it's something that is the main 
controversy, it feels like, especially for these teams that were going to be playoff teams by almost every measure if the season had continued, who now get a chance at the lottery. Right. So we need to talk about how the NHL lottery has been set up because the way it's been set up is familiar yet different enough to help mitigate the concern of a potential playoff team winning a lottery and therefore getting a top three draft pick in a draft class where you absolutely would love it if you win a lottery. Mm -hmm. So here's, I got to break this down step by step Dan. So I apologize for the longer than usual explanation. Not that people are going to mind that because I do everything long winded, but I need to go through this step by step to make sure it's crystal clear to everybody how this is going to work. So on June 26th, the NHL is going to run the first phase of the draft lottery. And this is going to be done the same way that draft lotteries have been done in recent years in that teams, you know, the last place team has the highest odds. The second to last place team has the second highest odds and so forth. And there's going to be three lotteries, uh, one for each of the first three overall picks, just like we what we would have had if we had no pandemic at all. Basically the same lottery format we had last year and the year before that and the year before that. So the Devils are obviously involved in that. Now, here's where things get a little complex. Because we don't know who the other eight teams in the lottery will be, they're being represented by placeholders. Basically, placeholder A, B, C, D, E, A, E, F, G, and H. Mm-hmm. Now, these are exactly placeholders. Now, their odds are the same of what an 8th place through 15th place team would be, with respect to lottery odds. So their odds are relatively lower than everybody else's. However, based on recent history of the lottery, it is entirely possible they could win a spot. And just like what we would have in the regular lotteries of the past, if one of those teams wins, everybody gets bumped down a spot. Mm -hmm. So the Devils, even if the Devils don't win a lottery, there's still a risk that they could fall further from sixth overall, which is just like what we would have if the regular lottery took place as normal. Now, If the seven teams that are not involved in the return to play format, like the Devils, win each of the three lotteries, then that's it for the lottery. That's it. Yeah, that would be the easiest and most pleasant solution. Exactly. Even if the Devils don't win a lottery, and even if Buffalo wins the lottery, because that's the one team that has a better record per point percentage uh, per percentage than the Devils. That would be the best case scenario because if a placeholder wins it, then there's a second phase to this lottery that is just for the placeholder teams. And the way this works is that this will take place after the qualifying round. So whenever the qualifying round happens, which we don't know when it will happen, maybe it's in July, maybe it starts in August, maybe it'll start in September. We don't know. But between the qualifying round and the first round, they're going to run the second phase of the lottery where they will determine who owns the placeholder pick. And all eight teams that lose in the qualifying round are eligible for the placeholder pick. And they're going to have the exact same odds to win the placeholder. So the worst case scenario would be, Dan, is if the three play, if three placeholder teams win each of the three lotteries, then Arizona would have a 12.5% chance at winning one of them. Mm-hmm. And then as that's decided, they, their odds actually increase because all the odds are equal. And the NHL has to do it that way to make sure that, you know, Pittsburgh doesn't look at Montreal, for example, and go, oh, we're having a tough time in this qualifying series. Let's just crash this qualifying round and get a high draft pick. Like this is to help define them to say, no, you're not necessarily going to get a high draft pick. You may still end up picking 15th overall. Right. Um, 
So that's how they're going to do it. But as we know, Arizona has a player named Taylor Hall. And Taylor Hall seems to have this bizarre coincidental magic that has his teams win lotteries a lot more frequently than usual. Mm -hmm. So if Arizona, so even though Arizona winning a qualifying round would bump their pick down several spots to a point where in this draft class, that's not necessarily ideal. That's a lot safer than have them risk potentially winning the the, the placeholder spot that wants, that wins a lottery. And therefore the devils don't get that pick at all. Right. So we're rooting for the Arizona coyotes here. In a sense, you can, but the better answer is going to come on June – on a, I'm sorry, on June 26th because okay. that's going to determine if it's okay to cheer for John Hines' coached Nashville Predators or not. <laughs> that's, the other, that's the other wrinkle in all this is that if you want Arizona to – you know, if you want that pick to be as high as possible uh, and you say, you know what, Taylor Hall doesn't have his magic. They're not going to win a lottery. Well, that means you need John Hines to coach his team to success. And as we know – John Hines and success, not exactly on speaking terms sometimes. He's got one playoff win to speak of in his uh, NHL career. Right, and he's, and he's on a team that expects, expects Dan to be a playoff team. Right. So the pressure's a little higher in Nashville than it was ever in New Jersey. Right. So I, I don't envy his position here. I don't envy the position of any coach. In fact, Barry Trotz, on one of the radio shows in light of the news actually raised the point that has yet to be determined. And it's one of the many little details that has to be determined is our coach is going to be allowed on the bench. Mm, okay. Or like, will they have masks or anything like that? Right. Or will they need to be sequestered on uh, say the third row of the arena or the second row or something like that? Like I'm of the opinion of, cause you know, I've been to a couple games where the attendance was really low and I was near the coaches uh, specifically when the, uh, Albany Devils had a game at the Prudential Center. I could hear the coach clearly speaking from five rows back. Mm -hmm. Coaches are loud. But I also understand that sometimes as a coach, you need to speak to players without yelling at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> believe it or you know, not. That's going to be a problem if you're not going to be able to be within close co contact with them. So, there's a lot of little details that have to be determined. And we have, to, but basically, if the Devils. Or rather, if the June 26th round of lottery picks goes to the seven teams, then feel free to cheer for whoever you want, whether it's for John Hines or for Taylor Hall. Mm -hmm. If not, you might want Arizona to beat Nashville. And I can't guarantee that's likely. <laughs> even, yeah. even with considering the situation of players not being in shape, they're coming into everything cold. The talent level between Nashville and Arizona is rather significant, I would say. And Arizona was just in the middle of, um, you know, a drop-off that happened. Yes, it started right around the time that Taylor Hall got there, but also Darcy Kemper got a major injury. So they had just started to drop out of the playoff picture after resting comfortably in it at the time of making the Taylor Hall trade. So they are, you know, they, they were not at full strength, but they did they did have time for Kemper to fully recover from his injury. So it may be a little bit different than the Coyotes we were seeing uh, right before the pause happened. Exactly. And that just adds to the intrigue level of how all this is going to play off. And as much as many people laughed when, you know, Mont NHL players in a poll before the um, announcement of the uh, return to play format said they don't want to face Carey Price in a series. And of course, as a statistically minded hockey fan, you're like, really? Carey Price? He, he hasn't been that good. Well, in a five game series, players may feel otherwise. Yeah, he can steal three pretty easily. 
Exactly. And that's that's sort of where things are going to get rather interesting. And it's also going to get rather interesting because according to Larry Brooks's uh, latest Slapshots article at the New York Post, and say what you want about Larry Brooks, say what you want about the New York Post, but he is pound for pound one of the best writers in the world when it comes to the NHL and the union issues. And he highlighted that uh, this week is potentially the week where they're going to make a decision of whether or not they're going to reseed after the qualifying rounds or if they're going to do a straight bracket. And they may be able to decide whether or not the qual- the first round and the second round of the playoffs may be best of five series just to speed the playoffs along. Um, or if they're going to do a straight best of seven series as they would normally do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're hoping to resolve that in this week. And Brooks also highlighted a potential fight among the uh, the union and the and the league in the near future. That is also going to have to be resolved before we can get to actual games on ice. Mm-hmm. So the the concern here, Dan, the initial concern, and there's going to be a lot of this because there's a lot of details that have to be done. But the the initial one is with respect to players that have been signed since the pause. So unlike the New Jersey Devils, who do not have a GM officially and do not have a head coach, um, some teams have been signing players. Some of them are draft picks. So they're signing them to entry level contracts. Some of them are European based players that were not out of contract, but decided to sign with an NHL team because they want to play in the NHL. And, and, and under normal circumstances, Dan, they would be able to play in the playoffs. You know, like Kale McCarr did after he signed, he was done with college, Colorado signed him, and he started his career in the playoffs. Yeah, cried Vegas, it with the Rangers way back. Right. Gusev technically with Vegas, even though he didn't play for Vegas, they signed and burned his entry-level year contract, which was going to be one season anyway because they were thinking about using him in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So under normal circumstances, they would play. However, the NHL issued a memo to teams saying, no, they cannot play. (laughs) And and, and in particular, Minnesota with Kirill Kaprizov and Montreal with Alexander Romanov, both players that were playing in Russia, playing in the KHL, you know, could come in and make make an impact in the NHL fairly quickly, you know, those would have been pretty good gets for Minnesota and Montreal. And given that Minnesota has something to play for and Montreal has something to play for, that could, you know, really help them in a short series. And now they're confused. And the union is especially confused as to what do you mean they can't play in the past? They could, I mean, if a player wants to burn their entry level contract and the team wants to do it, then let them. And why, why is the NHL now putting their foot down saying no? So Brooks thinks that this is going to be one of many disagreements that's going to have to be sorted out between the union and the league. And while that may be good for us as hockey podcasters looking for hockey news that's uh, recent to talk about and to discuss, you know, it's also something that could just throw a wrench into the plans of returning to play mm-hmm. and delay things further when, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that could cause further delays and cause other discussions that need to happen and just push those back and then just make this whole process even longer and more drawn out than necessary. So, well, so what uh, I'm wondering is because the they've announced, you know, that July target area and that's even still they're, they're calling that optimistic on, you know, on their own terms. But because it's so late, you know, when when would they would next season be abbreviated? Would it start later and go later into the year? I'm I'm wondering what the plan is for, you know, if this does take place or start to take place training camp wise in July, you could realistically be playing playoffs until the end of September or October, AKA when you need to start next season. So I don't know, is it even worth it? Well, that's just it. And, and I can understand and empathize with, 
you know, hockey fans that believe that this is a lot of work for not very much gain. Mm -hmm. And I get that. But selfishly as a hockey fan and as a hockey blogger, I'd rather have some hockey be played, even if it doesn't involve the New Jersey Devils, than nothing at all until some indeterminate point in the future. Right. Because um, to your point, we don't know what 2020 and 2021 seasons are going to be like. We don't know if it, you know, for all we know, it could be a truncated season that starts in January. We may not see Devils hockey until the next year. Um, and we're definitely not going to have fans in the stands until even beyond that. Um, you know, normalcy is going to be a long ways away for the NHL. But those are a lot of discussions that have to be had and have to be discussed. But there are also more pressing issues that have to be discussed first. For example, like what I just brought up with Romanov and Kaprizov, that's got to be resolved because teams need to know who who's allowed to come to camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, you know, is it worth bringing over? More importantly, and you know, they have to decide if they're going to push back. Um, I believe they're going to push back entry level contracts for draft rights ending that would normally end on Ju on June 1st. Otherwise, would those players be re-eligible to go back into the draft oh. or would they become free agents? Now, my understanding is that that is being pushed back a month. Mm. So that's and hopefully within this month, they'll resolve the things with Kaprizov, Romanov and teams will have a little more time to decide if they're going to sign their uh, draft picks that they have not yet drafted yet. I'm sorry, not yet signed. In the case of the New Jersey Devils, that's Mitchell Holscher and uh, Xavier Bernard. They uh, Todd Cordell reported at Hockey Buzz, he follows the Devils and he has a lot of junior con contacts that it's not expected that Holscher is going to sign with the Devils. And to be honest, I I don't think the Devils are missing out by much. I don't think he's he's too far in the depth chart in the pool. So, you know, you yeah. can cut him loose, let him go back into the draft if he wants to. Bernard, I'm not sure. You know, he's a defenseman and the Devils just drafted like a whole bunch of defensemen and acquired Kevin Ball. But, hey, if you think he's worth something in the future, might as well throw an ELC his way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But at least they'll have a little more time to do that. But the bigger one is going to be normally contracts end on Ju on July 1st. Um, you know, so if you're a pending free agent, you know, does your do you does your contract get extended? Does your payment get extended? You mm -hmm. normally don't get paid for playoffs. Do you still have to? pay into escrow do you still have all these other issues and if you're a pending free agent does that mean you have to wait when when do you have to wait until you can start negotiating with other teams and, um yeah I, and if someone is a free agent can they sign with the seven that aren't going to be in the play-in round exactly i mean it's already been announced by the nhl that the seven teams like the devils they can make trades among each other now to be fair since they didn't make like there's there's little incentive format. for those teams to trade amongst themselves <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, as much as Jack Eichel may not be happy with Buffalo management, he's not on the block by any means, and I don't think he wants to go to any of these other six teams. the line too. Well, this is not a Buffalo podcast. No, that so guy's been miserable for years. But but yeah, exactly. the, the point, point being is, that there's yeah. no, like, allowing trade between these seven teams would not fix any of their problems. <laughs> no, exactly. But that's also why they were able to announce that very quickly, because the PA doesn't care it's not it's not an issue per se yeah you know they just go yeah whatever but the bigger concern is going to be how they're going to handle free agency negotiations arbitrations and it's not just with the players one of the you know since the draft is the only thing that we as devil fans have to look forward to in terms of a league event involving hockey players for the next several months whatever the draft will be i don't even know you know scouts their contracts typically end on july 1st because mm -hmm. you know the draft is held in late june and therefore a lot of guys in the scouting world, go free shortly thereafter. And that makes sense because 
their their job is effectively done. There's not like their hockey leagues or tournaments playing right after the draft. The Linka Gretzky Cup is not until August anyway. Mm -hmm. So you have some time to go out and get a new job if you choose to stay in scouting. Well, if the draft's not going to happen in June, which it's not, um, so what happens with the scouts? They're not unionized. So it's not like there's a scouting union that could collectively bargain with the NHL or come up with some agreement here. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, if, if my scouting department let's say I'm the devils, I'm the new GM that comes in. My, I find out half my scouting department's going to be out of contract in a month. You know, I got to go to me, up ownership and say, can we keep these guys so I have a clue of who I can possibly draft when we have a draft because they've been scouting players and I haven't. And that's or another like, thing. Those or players or haven't like, played in a while. Exactly. Or, and, and scout, getting back to scouting for just to touch on this yeah, other yeah. point, if the scouting contracts of other teams end, can I poach them and take their reports? Like mm -hmm. what's, proprietary information here and you raise up another very good point dan is about the state of european and junior and college leagues uh, i know that european leagues and other sports have restarted and i think the european hockey leagues are looking to restart as normal albeit without fans in the stands and other restrictions but they're looking to restart as normal times mm -hmm. which would be in early september you know if i'm a top draft pick like say Marco Rossi, he already made the decision that he's going to play next year in Europe if he's not going to be in the NHL. The, now the question is going to be, will his will he be able to go to the NHL if he's drafted, you know, whenever the draft is happening? Or is, is he committed to his European team for the rest of the rest of the year? If I'm Alexis Lafreniere, who already dominated junior hockey for two years, what's the point of going back to juniors? But other than to say I can go to the NHL more freely or am I going to have to stay committed to a European league in the, in the meantime? And if I'm a European player being picked up, God forbid I break my leg before the draft yeah. or something like that. Or I go on a, or I go on a hot streak and I can fool some scouts into thinking, Oh, I'm better than they think. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that get that really get impacted just by shifting things around. Even if it's an off ice activity like the draft, and those are a lot of the details are going to have to be discussed among the teams and in some cases involving the players union just to understand everybody's on the same page. So there's going to be a lot of work to do in the coming weeks. And as such, there's going to be a lot of news, a lot of reports, a lot of proposals. And, you know, I'm of the opinion of either you follow this closely just to stay interested or you just say, I'm going to wait until something is decided. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, there's also the, the matter of the combine, right? Like they get to look well, at. Oh, that's already been decided. There's no NHL combine this year. Okay, yeah, but point being, because it doesn't exist, you don't get that extra look that you often get right before the draft. So it, that's right. where a lot of prospects solidify their positions, jump up and down the board, but they don't get that opportunity. So I'm wondering what they're going to do to make themselves stand out. And, you know, I'm guessing there'll be, you know, home workout videos sent in, you know, work with a trainer, anything like that. But it's going to be very different. It's going to be something that, especially for a team like our Devils that don't have a general manager or a coach right now, they have to be extra, extra careful what dimensions of a player they're looking for and what the philosophy is going to be. And they have to figure that out, I would say, sooner rather than later, as all of these important NHL events are about to really kick back in. Right. Now, I will give the Devils this much credit. They did start their head coaching search ahead of everyone else. So, I mean, they started that. And given that, as annoyed as I am that, um, you know, they did interview Mike Gillis as a GM, I don't know if they interviewed anybody else. There was a rumor that Pierre McGuire did, but Pierre McGuire himself shot that down. And that's good because I would not want Pierre McGuire to be anywhere near any hockey team's management, much less the Devils. 
But Tom Fitzgerald has effectively been acting as GM since he's been the interim GM. And mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion of if he, if he's going to be your guy, just announce him as your guy. And then this way you don't have to redo your coaching search because I can't imagine a head coach wants to, you know, sign with a team where he doesn't know if his boss is going to be his boss in a month. But I will give the Devils credit that at least they're making some moves over this. It's, you know, we didn't learn until recently that Detroit just basically said, ah, we're keeping our head coach. And Buffalo announcing that they're keeping their management in place, um, you know, because before then they 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 were just in limbo. They, they weren't doing anything. They were, well, paused. Um, I'm completely fine with them keeping their management in place, by the way, because that's one less Eastern Conference team we need to worry about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm <laughs> fine with Buffalo continuing to make mistakes. I am perfectly on board. Totally with, cool with it. <laughs> I'm also I'm also on board with Eugene Melnick continuing being cheap. Continue right. being cheap, man. It's your money. I can't tell you how to spend it or not spend it in your case. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. But more seriously, though. Um, the Devils do absolutely have to get some, make some big decisions, and they really need to make them real soon. June 26th is going to come real fast. It's already May 31st. It seems like it's a long ways away, but it's not. And, you know, if you're going to get a new GM or a president or however you're going to deal with this, then you need to do this sooner rather than later. Set your set your philosophy in terms of a general direction of what you're going to look for for how you're going to build the team. And then look at the prospects and see what you can do and what you're allowed to do to do, you know, with respect to that philosophy. I know one of the big things under Ray Shero and Paul Castron was they hired a um, uh, a psychoanalyst, yep. a psychologist rather, Amy to, Kimball, uh, yeah, as part of the interview process, and that's a really good idea. Well, that's actually the most beneficial thing about an NHL combine is that you can actually sit down and interview as many players as you want, even players that you know you're not going to be able to draft. Mm-hmm. And at least you can get an, a mindset of how are they going to handle professional hockey? How are they going to handle, um, you know, getting six, you know, six or seven figures right out of uh, junior European or uh, college hockey? Um, and, you know, whether or not their personalities would be good for the room, so to speak, and also how they see themselves and how they can handle criticism and, and a lot of other things. There's a lot of value in the interviews. Are NHL teams going to be allowed to interview prospects? I don't know. That's something that also has to be decided. But if I'm the New Jersey Devils, I don't, I'd rather ask for uh, forgiveness than permission. I, you know, <laughs> if you can reach out for these players on the side saying, hey, look, nothing's happened. We're having a conversation on the phone here. You know, throw out some questions, at least get a read on some of these players ahead of time. And then this way, when the draft does happen, whether it's in September, October, November, December, even, um, you know, you're not going into it with an empty, empty binder and a blank sheet of paper. Yeah, and I'm sure that there'll be some opportunities to talk to the players because the NHL knows that that's a very important part of team scouting processes. Um, And, you know, team fit is a lot of what people draft for as well. And it's something that is crucial to the very being of what the draft represents and what teams want to do with their selection. So I think some version of that has to exist. It obviously won't be the same without being in the same room as the person, but I think it is something that has to happen at this point, given the timing of everything, I would just say slap the GM tag on Fitzgerald and just focus on the coach part of it. Right. At at this at this point, since you've stuck with him so long, you let him make the Coleman trade. You made him late, let make the Vatnin trade. You let him make the Simmons trade. Green. You let him the Green trade. All the other decisions. He went to Binghamton and told him, "Don't play the same way we do in New Jersey. Do whatever you want." And magically, they started playing a lot better. 
It's yep. not magic, by the way. That's 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 a tongue in cheek magically, by the way. Yep, yep, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems like this and. On top of that, Fitzgerald was interviewing for GM jobs for the other teams. He was inter- he was close in the process that nearly got him the Minnesota Wild job. That went to someone else. That went to Fenton. But, uh, you know, so this is a guy that could be a GM. If you're fine with him, just announce him already. Yeah, seriously. Just, the, just do it. You don't need to wait anymore. I don't think it helps anything to have him be, you know, doing the all the GM work right now because he doesn't know if he has to or not and just still not calling him the GM. And I think based on the first couple of transactions, you know, we have no reason to complain. He understood the position the team was in. He understood what was going on in this 2019-2020 season, which I think we'll probably eulogize and look back on next week at this point, uh, given yeah. all the news that's come out. But you know, he's he's closer to the team than anyone you could hire from the outside. He has more of a pulse on this team, especially since he was the general manager of the Binghamton Devils. And he eventually was the one who was responsible for telling Mark Dennehy, hey, you don't have to match what we're doing up here at the NHL level. And all of a sudden, super weird, Binghamton went on a gigantic run. But he, main point being, he's familiar with all the players that the Devils have within their system already. He doesn't need to be caught up. He doesn't need, you know, I'm sure if he stuck around once they hired the new whoever the GM would be, he would fill them in. But I think at this point, since he has all the information already, why not just stick with him? Exactly. So those are the things that are that are going to come to a head, hopefully very, very soon with respect to the New Jersey Devils, because now they have a draft lottery that they're going to have in the future. You know, they're going to have an event that they're they are involved in and cross our fingers that, you know, I'll even take Ottawa effectively getting two of them if it means Arizona is not going to be involved. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take that. And but I don't know serious. if I even want the Devils to get one because at this point, if they don't do anything with that, they become the Edmonton Oilers East, and I can't have that. Well, it's a lottery drawing, so you can't do that. I will say, just to reiterate to, to those of you who are not aware, this is the if there's a draft class where you want to win a lottery in, this is one of them. Yeah. Because <laughs> number one is Alexis Lafreniere, who is a, you know, he could probably play in the NHL right now. He is dominating the queue and has been the very best junior prospect in the world this past uh, campaign. Number two is a likely going to be Quentin Byfield. When he's on, he reminds people of, of Jenny Malkin. And if you have somebody who plays like of Jenny Malkin, you run to the podium and announce that man. You do not (laughs) overthink this. Um, Of course, three to sevens where it gets kind of weird, right? Yeah. And unless you're Ottawa and then, you know, Ottawa owns San Jose's pick. Um, So, I mean, Ottawa could, feasibly take two and then go off the board and just say, look, we already got another first. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, but you're right. Three through seven is where things get, you can go in a lot of different directions. If you want a high end, great transitional right-sided defenseman, Jamie's Drysdale is head and shoulders above everyone else in the defenseman draft class. So you can make a case for him at three. Tim Stutzle, um, probably the best, no, definitely the best German prospect since Leon Dreisaitl electrifying super fast two-way winger out of uh, Adler Mannheim of the uh, Deutsche Ice Hockey League. He's a legit uh, top three prospect in this draft class. If you love your, if you fell in love with Marco Rossi and his Martin St. Louis sized uh, thighs, then he could be justified at number three. Um, And don't, don't laugh. This five foot nine guy could probably play center at the NHL level. He's that strong and that committed. At both no, I ends. just like the focus on the thighs. <laughs> well, that's, that was the thing they always talk about with Martin St. Louis. Yeah. Oh, he's only five nine. Yeah. But have you seen his thighs? Really? <laughs> like, 
goodness gracious, there was a whole decade of national broadcasts where you have to hear about the man's thighs. Well, so uh, here's a question I have for you, because we know that, you know, we've been talking about how the first round of this draft is supposed to be pretty deep through the lottery picks, right? It's supposed to be that range of players is supposed to be pretty comparable. Like anyone you get at eight, it compares pretty closely to someone who would be acquired at 10 or something like that. So my question to you is, are you rooting for the Minnesota Wild? Would you rather have Vancouver's pick this year or the potential to have it be unprotected next year? Although I, I think my answer to this has to be a resounding, I want the pick this year because Vancouver yes. seems to be on the rise and their pick next Correct. year is very likely to be worse. And not only that, but the 2021 draft class just doesn't have a lot of hype for it. I mean, there's more hype right now for the 2022 draft class, and that's two years away. Right. So, I mean, granted, a lot of things happen. We're talking about 17-year-old hockey players. I mean, a lot of things can change in the course of a season. But I fully agree with you, Dan. I am cheering for the Vancouver Canucks in this series, mm -hmm. which should be easy for most Devil fans because you're already used to booing Zach Parise. You've been doing it for eight years. You could do it for a couple more months. Uh, but yeah, a pick this year is much more valuable than a potential pick next year. And I fully agree that in a very weak Pacific division where I don't expect L.A. to be any good, I don't expect Anaheim to be all that good, I don't expect San Jose to get good anytime soon, Vancouver is likely a, a playoff team again next year and probably could be better depending on how well Elias Pettersson improves, how well Brock Besser improves, if Thatcher Demko is the real deal, and they hit big on some other moves that they make uh, between now and then. And honestly, if I want this Devils to stop rebuilding and make the most out of the peak years of Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes, then get your pick in now. Mm -hmm. A 17th, 18th, hell, even a 21st overall pick in this year's draft class may not be as valuable as a top 10 pick, but you're still getting a very good player if you do your homework. And if you hit big, you're going to be very, very happy with this year's uh, draft class. I think if the Devils can get three first rounders for 2020, be very happy. I would rather have that than a first this year in the top 10 and then two unprotected firsts uh, next year because I don't think Vancouver is going to be worse next season. And Arizona, who knows? They have a new owner who apparently wants things to change. So we'll see. Yeah, exactly. So th there's a lot to be watching for as Devils fans. And like I said, I think next time we'll take the podcast to look back on the 2019-2020 season, no matter how much we don't want to, and realize that it was a it was a transitional season for the Devils, even though it wasn't supposed to be. It was something that they made a lot of changes that may fix underlying problems in the future, even though they were very painful at the time that they were made. So we'll look back on all that and give, you know, we'll go over the survey run on all about the jersey, about you know, team MVP, best comeback performance, best rookie. We'll do all that next episode. But for now, that's all the information we have, both from a league perspective and from a devil's perspective in terms of the NHL coming back to action. And that all being said, this is all very much subject to change. This is something that, this global situation is it's something that changes so much every day and you can have the best laid plans and it doesn't care so we have an idea of what's going to happen with the nhl and obviously keep an ear to the ground see if there's more news that changes but for now you can look forward to a play-in style uh tournament for the nhl playoffs and again as Devils fans, please do not fall under the trap. Even No matter who wins the Stanley Cup this year, do not delegitimize it because people will be screaming 1995 into your face so quickly, it'll make your head spin. A win's a win, folks. A win's a win.
Couldn't agree anymore. All right. Well, with all that being said, we'll join you guys next week as we go over the ill-fated 2019-2020 Devil season, and we look towards some off-season moves that they can make to improve their prospects going forward. But for now, my name is Dan Roselle. I've been joined by John Fisher. And as always, let's go Devils. Go Devils. <laughs>